this morning. Um, I want to welcome you to our brand new series that we're, we're putting together called Intentional Relationships. Intentional relationships. Relationships, as you know, are, they're a huge part of our lives. If you've been around here for any length of time at all, you've heard me say that the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of God is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. It's the, the soil in which we live out our experience with God, is the relationships around us. You know, the Ten Commandments, if you think of them, they're all relational commandments. The first several are, are, have to do with how we relate to God, and the second part with, with our relationship with people. They're relational commandments. When Jesus spoke of the two greatest commandments, what were they? First one is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second part is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So the first one is, is that we, it, it deals with our relationship with God, and the second one deals with our relationship with people. Our relationships are central to the kingdom of God. It's where we, where we live out our faith, where the, the, the rubber meets the road. It's where we put the shoe leather to our, to our faith. It's because of the, and it's because of the, the primary place of the importance of relationships in our lives that it's crucial that it's something that we be intentional about. It's not something we just leave to chance and whatever happens, happens. We intentionally cultivate our relationships. The word intentional means to be purposeful, to be deliberate. So it's something that we work on. It's something that we put effort into. So in this series, we're going to look at our relationships, different relationships in our lives, and we're going to begin with the most important relationship, and that is our relationship with God. We're going to take a look this morning with, at, at, at who God is, which is you know, in itself a challenge, because think about it. How can we expect to fully comprehend the enormity of God and everything about God, this infinite being, with our finite minds. You know, we, 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 we can't. There's no way that we can know everything about God and understand all of his fullness uh, 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 with our finite minds, but we do have some understanding because God has, reeled, has revealed so much about himself in creation, in his word, and in the person of Jesus. We could spend months talking about the nature and character of God, but today I want to focus on our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're going to do some teaching this morning. We're going to do some teaching. These three make up, the three, Father, Son, Spirit, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make up the triune Godhead, also referred to as the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity was first used by Tertullian in the early 3rd century to describe the Godhead. See, as the church, as the church was formed, um, there were, uh, 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 they had to find a way to describe this, this new relationship that they had, a new understanding of, of who God is, but, you know, who God has always been. So the, 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 the Tertullian came, was, first came up with the word Trinity. Now, in your outline, you'll find a diagram that's an updated uh, or a, a, a modernized version of a diagram that actually dates back to the 13th century called the Shield of the Trinity. 
We're going to look at that this morning. We're going to try to explain it because really it simplifies and it gives a pretty good illustration of some fundamental truths that we need to understand about God. And the first thing we need to understand is there is only one true God who exists in three persons. Not three gods, but God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now look at the circle in the middle. That's, you, you see the circle in the middle with you know, saying God, and then the other three circles, there's one for the Father, there's one for the Son, and there's one for the Holy Spirit. If you look at the lines between, the bars between all the circles, the Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. However, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son. It's important that we understand this. It's important that, that, that we know that there is a distinction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They live in perfect communion, and it's one God. It's not that sometimes He expresses Himself as the Father, and then sometimes He expresses Himself as the Son, and sometimes He expresses Himself as the Holy Spirit. It's not that. That was actually dealt with in the early church. It was, it was a heresy actually called modalism, that was condemned at the beginning of the third century and you know it has various forms but generally considered or, or under come under the umbrella term modalism uh, but that's the gist of it you know uh, uh, and this, this teaching has had a resurgence uh, again in the early 20th century but the trinity is defined as this one god who eternally exists as three distinct persons the father the son the Holy Spirit, or to put it in another way, God is one in essence and three in persons. Now, these definitions express three crucial truths. One, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. They're one, but they're not the same. Okay, they're one, but they're not, the, they are distinct persons. Second truth that this expresses is that each person is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And the third thing we need to see in this is that there is only one God. One God, three persons in that one essence of God. Now, consider this. If you read the accounts of Jesus' baptism... You have all three persons simultaneously present, all three persons of the Godhead. You've got Jesus in the water. He's coming up out of the water. The Holy Spirit is descending in the form of a dove. Okay? So you've got Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit descending. And then what about the Father? The Father is speaking from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. So you've got all three present at the same time, 
So they're not all the same. There is a distinction between the three. Also, if you think about times when Jesus, we see Jesus praying to the Father, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane and, and outside of Lazarus' tomb and so many other places, Jesus was not talking to himself. He was talking to his Father. They are distinct persons. Then consider John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his Son or that he sent his Son. He didn't send himself. He sent his Son. And then there's the scriptures that speak of Jesus returning to the Father. He goes, I, I, I go to the Father. He's returning to the Father. Not returning to be the Father again, but returning to the Father. And then the Father is sending, and, and the Son, sending the Holy Spirit. These all speak to the fact that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct from each other. At the same time, we can go through scriptures and point out scripture after scripture that call the Father God. And that call the Son God, and that call the Holy Spirit, refer to Him as God. And, and, and yet the Scripture clearly states over and over, there is one God. Now, how many find that hard to understand? Welcome to the club. That's what we get for trying to understand a, a, an infinite God with our finite minds. But that is the mystery of the Godhead. There will always be some mystery surrounding God and, and who he is in that. But we have had much of him relate, or, uh, revealed to us. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about our relationship uh, uh, with each member of the Godhead and, and, and how that is. Let's begin with the Father. Our relationship to the Father is strictly available by grace, and that's it. <clears throat> Strictly available by grace. That's what we're told in this familiar passage in Ephesians 2. It says, God saved you by his what? By his grace. God saved you by his grace when you believe. Now, what does that mean? It means this. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Let me read that again. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. We need to understand this. Nobody gets to heaven or nobody has a relationship with God simply by the fact that they are a good person. Right? We talk about people, you know, all the time. Oh, they're, you know, being a good person. But, but that's not what saves us. That not, that's not what opens the door of, of a, 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 our relationship with God. It's simply the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that. Galatians, Paul argues in Galatians 2.21, says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law, in other words, just being good or just following all the rules, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. In other words, if we could do this on our own, if we could have relationship with God on our own just by following the rules and doing the right things and being a good person, then Christ died for nothing. When every, through everything he did for nothing. Had the nails pierced through his hands and his feet and the spear in his side for nothing. Had a crown of thorns like this one here hammered into his head for nothing. 
if we could do it on our own, but we can't. And that's the point. So because of God's grace, Christ came and died for us. Titus 3 says, we, Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But, and I love that, I love going through the New Testament and circling every time it says, but, but God. It says, but, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Again, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, because of his goodness, because of his unmerited favor, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Now, I'll pause here for a minute. A lot of times when we speak of God as our Father, you know, some of you connect with that right away. God is a Father. Yes, you had a good Father. You have a benevolent Father. You had a gracious Father. You had a patient Father. You had a good earthly Father. So your image of God is, uh, as Father is a good one because your image of a Father is a good one. But for some of you, that's the last thing in the world that you want to hear. I've talked to people that said, you know, I have real trouble when we talk about, talk about God as my Father. Because sometimes, you know, our, some earthly fathers, they were, they were, you know, anything but good. For some, the image of a, of, of a thought of a father brings up images of, of someone who's demanding and harsh or even abusive. For others, it's maybe somebody that was just absent from their life. I mean, he was there, but he wasn't there. Emotionally absent, or maybe physically absent. He just wasn't there, wasn't involved. So you're fine when we talk about Jesus, but as soon as we mention God the Father, something closes up inside because that's not the kind of Father that, that you had. And I understand that. I, I, I get that, really. But if that's the case for you, I want you to realize that's an area where your mind needs to be transformed by the truth of, the Bible, uh, of who the Bible says that God the Father really is. Because the Bible says he's someone who loves you and wants a relationship with you, has gone to such great lengths, such great extent to establish one. In fact, he loves you so much, he desires relationship with you so much that he gave his son to, to, to go to the cross and to give his life and to die for you. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He did everything he could. He, 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 he paid every price he could to, to establish and to offer a relationship with him to you. Because it's only through the son's death and resurrection that relationship is possible. It is a gift. It is God's grace. He is everything that you would want a father to be and more. And he chooses us. He adopts us into, into his family as his children so we don't have to wander around as orphans any longer. That's how we need to see him. He offers that kind of relationship to us by his grace. Now, let's consider our relationship with the son. Our relationship with the son is defined by his righteousness. His righteousness. It is in the Son, it is in Jesus that we have and that we get our identity. 
When we come to faith in Christ, it is no longer our faults, our failures, or other people that define us. We're no longer identified by our past. What we were before no longer matters. Now, when we come to faith in Christ, through that faith, Christ's righteousness becomes ours. It's all His. It's not ours at all. Listen to what Paul says. He says in Philippians 3.9, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I no longer count on that. It's not where I'm putting my money. That's not what I'm banking on, my own righteousness. Let's pause here for a minute. What do we know about Paul? We know that Paul was a Pharisee, right? Now, that has such a negative connotation in our days, right? You know, oh, look at that Pharisee, you know, somebody that's all pretense and all that. Well, set that aside. When the term Pharisee was used in the Bible, it's simply referring to a Jewish sect that adhered to a strict observance of traditional and written law. The term refers, you know, has a negative connotation today, but not so much back then because the Pharisees back then, they, I mean, they were the ones that, that um, uh, rigorously followed all the rules. They were the ones to be careful to do everything right. They were so careful to do the right things, even down to the smallest detail. So Paul is saying that he carefully followed all the rules. He did everything to a T. He, he, he followed all the rules, and yet it wasn't enough. That's not what he looked to for righteousness. Once he met Christ, you know, no matter how hard he tried to be good, it wasn't enough to make him righteous in God's eyes. In fact, it was in his effort to try to be good that he ended up persecuting the church. When he persecuted the church, he thought he was doing you know, the right thing for God. He was in a zeal for, for God. You know, here these people are worshiping you know, this, 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 uh, uh, this man and... And, you know, so he persecuted the church. He imprisoned them and had, and had Christians killed until he had an encounter with Christ. It was in his zeal for the law that he persecuted the church. So he continues then and he says, rather, he said, now I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, not on following a set of rules and, 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 and regulations, but on faith. He no longer trusts in his own righteousness. It wasn't enough. But now he trusts in Christ's righteousness, which becomes his through faith in Christ. The implications for this in our lives are huge. We have a relationship with the Father by grace, and we get our identity from the Son. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. What identifies us now is Christ's righteousness, not our own. Because Christ's righteousness becomes ours. This means that we're no longer identified by what we've done or who we were. We no longer have to be identified by, someone, by what someone else says or has said about us. The only thing that matters now is what God says about us. That's what identifies us. He says we're in Christ and Christ is in us. He says we are a new creation that the old is past, the new has come. We are a new creation is Christ, in Christ. He says we are full members of his family, fully adopted as sons in his family. 
the implications for how we live our lives are, are, are huge because now we can live out of who we are as our identity and as a new creation in Christ defined by his righteousness. We don't have to live out, live our lives by the labels that we used to wear or others' opinions of us. It doesn't matter what anybody else said or continues to say. It doesn't matter. It's what God says that matters. It means that we're not defined by our problems or our past, but by our position in Christ. Ephesians says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, or we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So we have a relationship with the Father that's made available because of his grace. Then it's our relationship with Jesus, the Son, that gives us our identity as a child of God. We are righteous. That's how we stand before God. That's how he views us. That's how he sees us. Because of Christ's righteousness, not on our own. Christ's righteousness gives it to us. The Bible says we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are righteous in him. And then we also have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to point something out here real quickly. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the triune Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not an it. He is not a force. He is not a power. He is a personal being with which we can have relationship. I said I was going to do some teaching this morning, and this is important that we understand this. The whole, now, when we say a person, don't think physical body, okay? Jesus had a physical body. The Father does not. He is spirit, and the Holy Spirit does not. So don't think, uh, don't think a, a person with the body. He doesn't have a physical body, but he's a person nonetheless. He has emotions. He speaks. He can be spoken to. He can be lied to. He is not an it. If, you, if you're one who reads the old King James Version of the Bible... There are two places in the King James, both in Romans chapter 8, where it refers to the Holy Spirit, as, to the Spirit as itself, the Spirit itself. And it's verses 8.16 and 8.26, but it's due to an error in the, trans, in the translation. It's been corrected in later translations to properly read himself, including the new King James. Okay, so if you ever look at that, you know, every, I, I don't use the King James a whole lot, but when I do, if I come to that, it's like, that's wrong. It's himself, not itself. I take time to point that out for this reason. It's important that we see the personhood of the Holy Spirit if we're going to have relationship with him. You understand that? If we have relationship with the Holy Spirit, we have to understand and recognize his personhood. You don't have relationship with an it. I do not have a relationship with this mic stand or this, this music stand. It's a nice music stand. I actually like this one very much because it's not too hard to move and yet it doesn't go all over the place. You know, some of them, you bump them and they spin around or you tilt them a little bit and whoosh, everything dumps. This is a nice music stand but I do not have relationship with it. I do not have relationship with that chair that I was sitting on earlier. It was comfortable. It was padded. The older I get, the more I need that. It was a nice chair, but it 
is a chair. You don't have relationship with it. You have relationship with a person. So if we are going to have relationship with the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that He is a person. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit then is our key to kingdom living. Our key to kingdom. It's how we fulfill our destiny for which we were put here. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus ministered. And it's how we are able to minister. Look at Luke 4. It's from the Passion Translation. The Spirit of the Lord. Who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He, notice the personhood, not it. He has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom from the, for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, and a preach for the, uh, to prisoners. You are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power we need not only to minister like Jesus did, but also to live as Jesus did and as God intends us to live. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to live the kind of life God wants us to live, gives us the power and authority to minister as Jesus did. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection, just before he was taken into heaven. You know the passage, Matthew 28, says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. Three of those years he spent in close proximity with, his, with, his, uh, with the apostles, his closest disciples, teaching them, healing them, performing miracles, raising the dead, resisting temptation, restoring people's lives, sending them out to do everything that he was doing. And all that time, he was giving us an example of how he wanted us to live how we can resist temptation, how we can take ground back from the enemy, how we can teach others to do the same, all, uh, all the time relying on the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He only did what the Father told him by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we begin this series talking about intentional relationships, this is where we need to start, understanding our relationship with God. Because how we relate to, the, to God the Father, to God the Son, and to God the Holy Spirit. How each member of the Godhead interacts with us to bring us into the kind of life and the fullness of life that God intends for us when He created us. Because our relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, affects how we relate to everyone else. It is the key relationship in our life. It defines us and it, and it directs our relationship with everyone else. The degree to which we get our relationship with God right determines the degree to which we get all of our other relationships right. Let's have the worship team come on up. I told you I was going to do a little teaching today. It's, it's important that we get We don't talk about things like this a lot, but it's important that we understand these things because when we have confusion about who God is, then it's hard to live out our lives the way He wants us to. 
It's hard to relate to him how he wants us to. Let's stand. I want us to pray. I want to pray for us this morning. So let's go ahead and stand. And if this is your prayer, just agree with me in your heart and just say yes in your heart. Lord God, we want to know you more. We want to understand you more. We want to know your ways. We ask that you would come and that you would continue to reveal more of yourself to us, more of who you are. Lord, we understand that there's, that, that there's a lot of mystery surrounding your, the, the, the fullness of who you are and, and, and Father, Son, and Spirit and, and how all that can be, three persons and one God. We understand that there's a lot of mystery there, Lord. And we don't expect to be able to fully understand all the mysteries of you. But Lord, we do want to know you more. Deepen our relationship with you. Deepen our relationship with you. Father, thank you for the grace that you've given us. The grace that you extend to us by which we can know you and we can relate to you. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it, as the song says. But Lord, we love you and we thank you for extending that grace to us. And Jesus, for the identity that you give us, you made us new in you. All the things that we did to identify ourselves, the failures, the, 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 the faults, the, all the stuff that, that people looked at us and saw before, Lord, none of that matters. Your word says that when we come to you, you make us new new creatures in you, new creations, not defined by the labels and failures and things of the past. Whether they're ones that others put on us or whether they're ones that we deserve to put on ourselves, none of that matters. We are in Christ, and it's you who defines us. Holy Spirit, we look to you for your constant presence and empowering to help us to live as Jesus lived, to help us to minister as Jesus ministered. Holy Spirit, continue to come to us every day. Speak to us. Help us to develop that relationship with you because we love you. Show us what we need to know. Empower us with what we need to be empowered with. That we can live the life and fulfill the calling that we're created to live and created the calling we are created to walk out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.